looks like we're up and ready to go. We are live. Okay, Petey, play the system up there tonight. Let's see if Phil Lane's close gaps. Get a good jump. And now, straight off the pipe hockey with Dash and filling in for Dursa tonight is Petey. Go get him. Hey, game on, Petey. Game on, Mike. Uh, it's Thursday night, and you know what that means. It's another episode of Straight Off the Play Podcast. Uh, we're proud members of the Heavy Hockey Network, and as always, I am Dash. I am missing my regular co-host tonight, Dursa, and uh, in place, we've got a longtime friend of mine, Petey. So glad to have him on. We're going to have some fun tonight, maybe uh, peel back the onion on some history a little bit and tell some stories, and oh yeah, look at that picture. That's uh, Petey weighing about 78 pounds soaking wet and Adam Hockey, I can see, and, and me backing him up like I always did. Um, anyways, here we are. It's uh, episode 15, and um, Petey played his entire senior hockey career uh, with the Winyard Monarchs in Saskatchewan, and he uh, was brought up as, a, as an affiliated player when he was 16, and, and I was always so uh, an AP on that team, I think, when I was 18 years old, and we played in different leagues together and whether it was the fishing lake hockey league or the highway hockey league and, and kind of tripped over each other along the way. But, uh, at some point in time in my life and career, I move on to the big city of Regina and, and then the bigger city of Edmonton and, and, uh, PD stuck to education, got his degree and, and, uh, stayed home and, and he's a teacher there to this state. So, um, I watched over my shoulder all that time and, and kind of kept my eye on him as he, as he crawled through the league. And, and, you know, all he did through that time was, uh, from 1993 to, I don't know, what was it? 2008 when he left PD 2009. Yeah. About there. Yeah. Racked up, uh, three league championships, uh, seven MVP trophies, five scoring titles. Uh, one of which was 103 points in 20 games. Not a big deal. I think five uh, points a game is a pretty good average last time I checked. Um, surprisingly, he won a Most Valuable Player trophy in 2009, which I got to ask you about later. I found that a little surprising, seeing as I consider you like a Steve Ott level type of chirper. Um, but we've known each other since 1987, and uh, it's been a fantastic friend for the last 35 years. So, ladies and gentlemen and fans of heavy hockey, please welcome our co-host tonight, Petey. Welcome to the show, buddy. Hi, Mike. Um, good, good to see you. We don't talk enough. Uh, happy to come on here. Been following what you guys have been doing for the last couple months, and uh, lots of hard work. And uh, uh, you know, it's it's a pleasure to come on here. Uh, good timing too. Blue Jays just swept the Yankees. It's nice to uh, to hear some boos from uh, any of the Yankee fans that were still left there. Um, so uh, <laughs> no, no like, like to see what you have on there there tonight. So no, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Awesome to have you, man. It's going to be fun. I uh, I literally can't wait. Um, first time I met Petey, I'd have been about, I don't know, 12 years old. Maybe you were 11, somewhere in that. And I think I just moved from Prince Albert, Saskatchewan to the small town of, of Winyard, Saskatchewan. And, you know, I'd, I'd seen my crazy when it came to minor hockey in, in Prince Albert. But, you know, I, I show up in Winyard and I, I remember like being in this weird dressing room down in the basement in the Winyard Memorial Arena where we were like underneath the the lobby and you could hear everybody talking and stomping and, and you had to go up this set of stairs to get on the ice. And I remember our first practices when we were arguing whether our warm up music was going to be 
Crazy Nights by Kiss or the Final Countdown by Europe. And I don't know if you remember. Morning, 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 maybe. <laughs> yeah, it was probably in the running for sure. So, yeah, yeah. yeah man, it's, it's, it's been a long, long time. And, and uh, you know, over those years, um, you know, you were still in Bantam when you were getting called up to senior and, and I was in midget then. And um, we played, I'd say, from, you know, after six years of minor hockey, probably uh, four or five years of senior hockey together as well. Um, when I moved to Regina to go to university, uh, I, I moved on to a different league, which was a highway hockey league from the Fishing Lake Hockey League. And then I played for some towns, uh, Dyes Art and Siemens, Saskatchewan. And, um, you know, we, uh, I think, ended up being in that league, not at the same time, but the Fishing Lake Hockey League ended up, you know, did it fold? And then you, I think, went over to the high, Winyard, went over to the Highway Hockey League at some point in time, because I know you split your career there. Yeah, we, we, uh, we're in the fishing lake league for a number of years and, and we were having more and more of our players were coming out from the cities and uh, we figured that if we were going to have them still play with us. We had to, to move on to, to leagues. Um, the, the highway league uh, was certainly a, a, a step up, separate two up. Um, yeah. But at the same time, the fishing lake league with, the, with some of the rivalries, that was, uh, that was some of the, the favorite hockey that I played where, you know, you're half an hour, 45 minutes from a town and, uh, your, your ranks filled, uh, with, um, with your fans and their fans. And, uh, uh you know, it, uh, the intensity is there and the excitement's there. So, yeah. yeah. The Winyard Wadena hatred. I don't know if it still exists, but it certainly was yeah. live and, yeah. and on fire yeah. when I was there. That's for sure. Yeah. And the uh, foam lake as well. Yeah. So those are, those are some fun games. So when you think back to those years of, uh, of you know back in the 90s and 2000s when we were doing that what are some of your most vivid memories like what, what's what are some of your favorite times of playing either minor hockey or in that senior hockey league um you know some some of my my best memories are, are thinking back to all the, the different players that that you played with and the the different groups at different times when when you're on a team you're you're sort of in a bubble with the players and the coaches and the managers and the trainers yeah. and and you, you share the the same world for you know six seven eight months um Bus you know, the up, yeah, ups and downs and the, and the frustrations and um and, and you know that leads to as a 44 year old right now uh, from from this perspective when i see players that i've played with in the past uh, ex-teammates and we start talking and and you you recognize their perspective of of what they saw and uh, you know you share your perspective uh, and just to, to hear the stories and, and go through your own memories and, and hear the ones you've forgotten and uh, um, you know like, like I said it's only a small group of you know 20 people that 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 can share that and uh, yeah you know I'd say I'd say that's what I what I remember the most you know you, you remember a few of the the big wins and uh, you know more so uh, you, you remember some of the mistakes you made and and the, the losses that you had because you know those are those are the ones that hurt the, the winning is uh, you know you, you you hope to win you, you sort of expect to win and uh, uh, you know when that happens you, you go on to the next game but if you, if you make a mistake or a big loss those ones stick with you and if, yeah, I, if I remembered it yeah those are those are the ones that, that stick with you and you know you always make probably way more good plays and have a lot of good games but uh you don't uh, you don't remember those as well as the mistakes you made yeah the good players will often dwell on those right and i think that's how you you push forward and learn um you know when it comes to that league i i mean i remember some crazy stories we're talking late 90s and early 2000s and you know there was there was fights and line brawls and stick swinging and you know, the chicken wire for fence and fans from Wadena grabbing my jersey when I was in a line brawl and, 
is it, what's what's some of the stuff that when you think back was like holy shit we'd never get away with that now any crazy stories that you can remember well yeah th- those are all fun times and, and you know some of those old drinks where where like you said they can reach right over the glass or you can hear every word or, or smell the breath of the fans um you know you know you remember that stuff um I remember one year we we had a uh, we had a pretty good team. Uh, we were playing in in A provincials. Um, you know, out of the the whole group of teams in in A provincials, we'd probably be you know middle to bottom half of that year if uh, if you're going to rank us. But uh, we knew we had a pretty good team. Um, came up against a team that was you know probably expected to to beat us in their minds. We knew we knew we had a good chance. Uh, we went to their rank. Um, we, we ended up beating them. We uh, we come out and our bus is uh, covered paintballs, completely paintballed, uh, <laughs> <laughs> huge mess. Um, we went on to win that series and uh, we made it to the provincial final that year. We played Meadow Lake in the final. Um, they beat us in, in game three as best of three. And uh, on that Meadow Lake team actually was a guy named uh, Lenny Esau. I'm not sure if uh, any anybody recognized that name, but he was uh, he was an oil, he was an Oiler. He played 27 games in NHL and 14 of them with the Oilers. So okay. um, he was he, he was near the end of his career, but uh, you know still uh, still had lots left in the tank for for that level. He's a big, strong centerman and tough on the draws. Uh, but you no, know, they they had a good team. They ended up taking us a, it's a long long trip on a bus from uh, from Winyard to Meadow Lake. Yeah. Twice in, twice in a week. Yeah, exactly. Michael Hebert is yeah. asking if uh, Friesen was playing in Meadow Lake then. Uh, I don't remember Friesen. No, uh, you know, a guy named Aaron Starr. He was he was a nice player for them. Um, they had uh, oh, they had a great goalie there. Jeez, I don't have it off the top of my head, but uh, no, they had they had solid right too. They had, they had three, four good lines and uh, and six good D, and you know, filled their rank is uh, you know, pretty nice rank there and back at home so when you get deep in those playoffs and the sands are full uh, that's fun hockey that's awesome man that's cool yeah it's uh it's it's been a go eh? it's like you said you're 44 and i still look at you and i see my 20 and some year old friend pd i don't know what it looks like when you're looking at me across the camera but it's uh it's crazy that i'm 45 and you're 44 and we've known each other for as long as we have and you know like i can still remember vividly going you know, into some of those first practices when, you know, I don't know, call me a liar if you want, but what were you 80 pounds soaking wet when you were 11? You know, like it was, uh, I just remember looking across and going, holy crap, like this, this is, this is a bunch of guys here. And, you know, I'd come from PA where maybe the kids were a little bigger. <laughs> and, hey, uh, I remember you toe dragged me so bad that first practice that I tripped over the blue line probably twice. And at that point I went, Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's Ryan Peterson, I guess. And I don't know. I, I remember you being like such a 200 foot player and such a responsible center and always going back on the puck as hard as you did as you know, to the net and is probably, you know, one of the most um, mature players at that age that, that I'd seen. Um, I don't know if you'd consider yourself that. I know you don't like talking about yourself anyways. What do you remember about those days? What do you remember about playing with me? How, what kind of a winger was I when I pop out there with you? Yeah, well, well, you know, to to you referenced the skinny little kid. Um, yeah, I was all along. You know, I just, but I just uh, loved the game and wanted to be on the ice and and wanted to puck on my stick. And uh, you know, I think that's uh, that's important. Is is you know, if if you really 
love the game and you really put every minute, the extra spare minute that you have into it, then uh, the skill just develops and, and the results, whatever happens, happens. It's just yeah. the, the fun, the fun comes through. Um, but yeah, no, uh, you know, we had, we, we had a number of years together. Uh, you know, if, if you would have been on the other team, you'd have been somebody that would have been annoying to play against, sickening to play against, um, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, <laughs> mouthy, hey, played tough hockey. Um, anytime we played on the same line, create some space, uh, uh, could put the puck in the net. Um, you know, always knew that, uh, that you have everyone back on our team and, uh, several times you, you had to show that. And, um, but, but again, when, it, when you have a, an annoying player who can also put the puck in the net and, and create some offense, that's, uh, uh, those are the, those are the players that, that are hard to play against. You know, there's, there's players that can, that can try to get under your skin. Um, but if they're not doing much productive other than just trying to uh, to throw you off, then um, you know they're not uh, they're not going to be as big a factor as someone that has you know a chance that they could uh, throw a big hit, score a big goal, you know, change the momentum with the with a well timed fight. Um, uh, but yeah, just the general competitiveness and uh, you know some of the teams we had uh, we had that uh, group that we we had that will to win and uh, yeah. you know that's uh that's big yeah the will to want to win yeah it was fun i remember um you you told that story earlier about the bus getting paintballed it uh it reminded me of our our midget year i guess you'd have been a first year midget and, and that was my second year midget but <clears throat> i had uh, i graduated high school a year early so i was actually you know done high school but still had a year of hockey left and so i decided i was gonna go and chase a girl i liked to regina and um, tried out for the junior B hockey team in town and made the Regina Capitals. So I, I played a half of the season of junior B before I, um, I don't know, I think I was in seven fights in 15 games and then I got suspended for four games and was cut. So, uh, I came back and I played with you guys for the rest of that year. Um, but it reminds me of a story before I came to play with you guys in that final, uh, or in that, you know, provincial run and, and, and league playoff run that we did. Um, we had a team that was, oh boy, like, like just a, a gang of goons. It, it, it was junior B in Saskatchewan. Like you wouldn't believe the capitals were an expansion team in 1993. So, uh, here I come in 1994, I had to get special permission from the league to, to even join it at 17 years old. Cause it's an 18 to 20 league. I'm 17 years old. I'm the youngest guy on the history of the league here because I had to get special written permission and uh, make the team with a few scraps in camp, which was great, and get to a town called Assiniboine. So Assiniboine is uh, it's a, it's a rough town. I think it's known for its uh, pig farming and uh, different types of agriculture around. Um, and we uh, we had a coach, uh, Dick Leach, who was an absolute psychopath. And his kid, Todd Leach, played in the WHL and was three times the psychopath. And we played a game uh, in Assiniboine on Halloween night. And uh, I ran the goalie in the third period. Uh, their captain was a good solid 250 pounds and came over and ragdolled me like you wouldn't believe. I could barely hang on for my life. And it started a line brawl in which by the time I dusted myself off and got myself wiped up and looked around, the other four guys I was on the ice with were just absolutely beating the pants off of these four guys from Assiniboine to the point where it was, it, it was ugly, like visors down on noses and, and blood splatters and, and, and ugly kind of stuff. And there was some rude things ch yelled at the fans and from the fans and 
Well, of course, for Halloween night and the Cinnaboyne, I don't know if you ever played there, Petey, but it's got a, a weird kind of setup where you go from the ice to the dressing room through a hallway, but then you can leave right out the back of your dressing room door out the building. Yeah. And so we, uh, we hear somewhere halfway through undressing because we are out early, we get kicked out in this line brawl and there's, you know, five to seven of us in, in the dressing room already. And while like our steel door behind us to our dressing rooms, it leads to the outside. We can start hearing the pounding on the door. We can start like, they're trying to get in. They, they want to kill us. And so, um, we end up, um, getting to have to call the RCMP uh, the RCMP uh, sit with us in our dressing room while we um, undress. Uh, Todd Leach, our coach, because I was one of the first ones behind him out the door, grabbed my stick out of his hand and basically waved it like Obi-Wan Kenobi through a crowd of Assiniboine <laughs> people trying to create a path to the bus so that we could get to the bus. He's like literally like swinging his stick around like a tomahawk trying to clear a path. We all get on the bus somewhat safely and on the way out of town with an RCMP escort get egged by about 700 eggs <laughs> the entire way out of town. So that's, you know, the days that we played in, I guess, eh? It's, it's crazy stuff. It, it does show the passion that the small towns do have. You know, they, they look forward to that. And, and when you're watching yeah. local players that, uh, uh, you know, that you, you get to know in that town, you know, that jun- at the junior level, I'm sure they had some locals from there or, or they're sure. living in the community. So, yeah, they they, they uh, support it, especially when there's probably a long distance before they can go to see a, a junior game or, or some other kind of game that uh, is at a higher level. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, the smaller the town you get, the, the more loyal you get to your hockey, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a Oiler fan in Edmonton or a Pats fan in Regina or a Monarchs fan in Winyard. When you grow up, hockey's hockey, you know, and if you love the game, you, you just want to go and watch whatever that team is that you grow up watching, right? So, you know, I didn't grow up in Winyard, but you did. And I'm sure you watched the Monarchs when you were a kid and watching the Lindells and Karkachucks rip around, you know, whatever that felt like growing up. Well, yeah, they they just become the the people that you look up to, and and some of those names, you know, yeah. they, that you that you watch. Eventually, you know, I played with some of those uh, the, the the players that I was watching at the end of their career when I was starting mine, and and yeah, the the, the cycle just carries on, and uh, uh, that that is what uh, what basically uh, helps feed the grassroots of the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well put. I like that actually. You know, it's that's small town Alberta, that's small town Saskatchewan, that's grassroots hockey anywhere, man. And you know, I, I think that it's uh it's important when you're growing up to have that type of um, you know, place to go to watch, and that's how you fall in love with the game. Um, speaking of falling in love with the game, you you've fallen in love with a weird team. Um, we're dealing with a Sabres fan here, folks. I, I know there's a, they're kind of like unicorns and, and a little bit rare, but this one's actually a diehard. How the hell did you become a Sabres fan, Petey? Jeez, I tell you, it's, uh, it's been a, a long decade, um, about a decade ago. I thought that was what I started saying. Hey, this is our decade. This is our decade. And I was completely wrong. <laughs> um, no, I was, uh, I was an Oiler fan originally. Um, you know, Gretzky, when I was growing oh, up, I was yeah. lucky, lucky enough to, to watch him um like most of the people in our, in our generation and uh, uh i left the oilers when when he got traded um didn't really have a team for a while um you know i had uh, the the canadian hockey channels like everyone but also had the, the nesson network where boston was on uh, quite often and, and the old adams division where there was matchups with boston and montreal and 
Um, it was nice to see them get beat a little bit. Uh, I, I still enjoy when they get beat a little bit. You always um, cheered for the underdog. Oh yeah, and uh, uh, you know Grant Beer, he was a holdover from uh, from the Oilers. He ended up in Buffalo. Um, yeah. You know Pat Lafontaine, I, I like his style. Uh, great playmaker. Um, and then they they had their run to the cup. I, I still get to probably about 10, 12 times a year. I get a picture of Red Hall skate in the crease uh, just randomly. <laughs> so and of, of course the the top oh, tens uh, every every so often is uh, Red Hall's in there. So. Uh, I have many, many uh, reminders of that one. Um, but yeah, since then, no, it's, uh, it's been a rough stretch. I've uh, um, had to, had to uh, hold up my, uh, my end of the deal and, uh, you know, they need you when they're down. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they do need you. They need all the fans they can get right now, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. It's been a tough goal for sure. It's um, uh, been interesting to watch the transition ever really since the McDavid-Eichel draft, really, because... Um, you know, and nobody cares about our fantasy hockey league, but we were in one. And then I think I was tanking just as hard as the Oilers and the Sabres were that year. Cause I also wanted McDavid. Um, I think uh, the Sabres fans expected McDavid perhaps. And, you know, I, I know you and I have had this conversation over the years, as well as even before the show, as we were in a personal chat, but you know, do you, what do you think about that, that tank for McDavid that year? Would you agree, or would you, would you do you think that both of our teams are still suffering because of that losing culture that that we adopted? Yeah, I, I think I think that was real tough, you know, and uh, for the Oilers, yeah, but they did end up with McDavid, so, so you know they they still maybe have have a bit of that, but but for Buffalo with the, the obvious tank, and then they didn't end up with McDavid, so so you know you, you put that losing culture in. Uh, you also have you know. They probably they wouldn't admit it the disappointment that they didn't get McDavid and ended up sure. with Eichel because Eichel would be you know eighty five percent on McDavid on on his uh, on his good days, um, yeah. and then and then he ha- he hasn't reached his full potential on a regular basis. Um, you know you you throw in a bad bad O'Reilly trade um, after he uh, made some of his comments that uh, you know he was losing the fun out of hockey. Um, so so obviously the the culture just hasn't uh, hasn't fully recovered. Um, you know, it looked like they were on the on the right path with uh, Reinhardt, uh, Ed Eichel, Ed Ristolainen, and all all high picks and and nice players. Yeah, Scott um, looks decent still, and I don't know. It's they yeah. had a little carousel for a while, but yeah, and uh, and now it it seems like it's uh, getting torn down again. Um, you know, the Eichel situation with with the injury, it's uh, it's hard to hard to know exactly what's going on there. You know, Buffalo has been very poorly managed uh, lately, um, but they know Eichel is their their number one asset. Like he's, uh, uh, they lost big time on that O'Reilly trade, and uh, I think they're well aware if if they if they lose a, b- a big time trade on on this one, then uh, they're they're in trouble. Like uh, uh, that's that's another five, six, eight years until they're they're moving in the right direction. Um, I, you know, that the price is high. I'm not sure if they, uh, there's any teams that uh, are still considering matching that price. Um, uh, I think Eichel's a great player. I think he still has yeah, potential to be, you know, top ten, top five, top yeah. three or four. Um, yeah. But you can't have a player that doesn't want to be there um, yeah. when it's well known that he doesn't want to be there. 
then uh, you know who's who's holding who ransom? Is it the teams that making the offers? Is it Buffalo because they know Eichel wants out, but he's injured and he has to show he can right. play first? Um, you know, I, if if I was making the decisions, uh, you know, I'd try to find a way to come to terms with him to start. You know, if he's uh, if he's healthy enough to play, whatever surgery is decided upon, um, you have to you have to come to some agreement there. Um, he has to he has to get his value up. His his value is is at its lowest right now um, sure. because he's got a because he's got a high contract because of the injury um, and because he wants out. So um, you know you got to find a way to get him to play from a Buffalo perspective to get his uh, price tag back, back up where people are willing to pay the price. You know the price tag's high, um, and you know what do, what do you get for him? You get a a uh, high-end prospect that's ready to play in a first-round pick. Well, you know the only way to win a Jack Eichel trade is to get Jack Eichel back, and, uh, and nobody's trading that that kind of quality of player. Um, and, and even if you get the three, four pieces that they're they're asking for, uh, like a first-round pick caliber or or close to that, you know, first-round pick, they're two, three, four years away, and and what's the percentage of them um, making it? You know, it's just, uh, you just never know. And uh, it's hard to, it's hard to trade a sure thing or, uh, you know, pretty much for sure thing other than the injury or, uh, you know, somebody that you hope might be that because uh, they're hard to find. Look around, what's everybody looking for? Okay? After a top end goalie, a top D, then you want the, the centers, go right That's to the right. center. So, uh, and they have that. So you don't, you don't make your team better by, by trading what everybody wants and what you are going to be looking for as soon as you send them out the door. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You spend your whole, you know, career trying to land players like Eichel and McDavid when you're an NHL GM. So yeah. uh, I couldn't agree more. I think that's really well said. You know, you bring up the, the surgery and the potential for it a couple of times. Um, what do you think about that? You know, like obviously Eichel wants to try this uh, new surgery that's never been done with a hockey player before. And the Sabres want him to do the fusion that, you know, all other hockey players have done before and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, the Sabres are contractually allowed to decide how Jack Eichel gets to um, be repaired. And I think Jack Eichel, as a human should have every right to decide how he wants to be repaired, but it's an interesting situation. eh? Yeah, it, it is. And I think with lots of things, hockey nowadays, it, it comes down to the money and, uh, you know, we will never know the full story, but, uh, you know, if you, if you, if I had to guess, I would say there's gotta be something with insurance involved because if, uh, if a surgery has been done before, maybe it's uh, a, a newer surgery, but it has been fairly successful. The player wants it. You, know, you, you think you'd have some say over your body, like you said. Um, you, you know, what's what's holding them back? You know, maybe it is something insurance-wise where uh, you may end up losing that player for getting no assets in return, and now what? Then you're 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 further back behind than than when oh, you got them because. Uh, the, the the fan base you know there's some hardcore ones like us that uh, they are heels in and, and we're in for good but um we're also i don't live in buffalo so i'm not uh, i'm not paying yeah. the cash to go i i can follow them from here and and uh, i don't have to put my money where my mouth is from here yeah. um, but uh you know lots of people that uh, that are there um they uh like uh, you know the, the things i read the, the the buffalo bloggers that i follow you know there's uh people are are running out of patience 
For sure. It'd be tough to be a Sabres fan. It'd be tough to be a Sens fan too, watching Eric Carlson and Stone and everybody just walk out the door, you know, like we thought our goal as an Oilers organization, you know, by no means do I think there hasn't been our time where we've embarrassed ourselves amongst the league, but man, that's, uh, it, it's, it's tough. I think, you know, when you're, when you're cheering you, your heart out for an organization and, and you're split between, you know, that type of, you know, where do you find yourself? Do you find yourself, you know, with your loyalty to the Sabres and, and thinking, well, they have every right to protect their asset. That's their asset. Or, you know, do you find yourself falling in love with your favorite player and going, man, a guy should just be able to do what he wants. Yeah. You know, I, I, I try to, um, I try to see the Buffalo's point of view, um, but try try to keep the human element in it. You know, you have to, you have to treat these players more than just a, a a skill level with a, with a salary number attached to them. And, you know, this is what the, almost like a video game. And, and sometimes that's, uh, that seems what it becomes. Um, So, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I would say that, uh, um, personally, I, I want them to be able to at least be on level ground, wh- however this ends up with this, with Eichel somehow, you know, some miracle that he, that he stays and plays and, and stays healthy, or he gets traded and uh, equal assets come back and, and he stays healthy. You know, I, I, yeah. Of course, once they ended up with him, then, you know, look deeper into him, follow him. He's uh, yeah. He wants to win like everybody else and, uh, yeah. and frustration boils over, uh, you know, but but then you know you sign your contract you you've got your guaranteed money you, you know you do give up a little bit of uh, of the sure. say along the way but I, I don't believe it should be in the the health especially when it comes down to surgery yeah there's certain guys like that that are just built to win it doesn't matter whether it's you know whether how much money they make you know you look at the McKinnons and the McDavid's and the Crosby's and like those are guys that are just doesn't matter what they make they, they just want to win and that's the bottom line and I would have to put Eichel in that class I don't think you get to be as good of a hockey player as you are if you're Jack Eichel without having that type of determination no no you sure don't and and the the salary cap has changed uh, sort of how players are viewed in my opinion you know when they come yeah. in and they're the big hotshot, and everybody everybody loves them, and and things are going great because you know it's the new new, new hotshot. And then they yeah. sign a contract where they're pulling in. Well, you guys you guys have it now with Nurse. You know, everybody loves Nurse. Everybody loves Nurse. Are they going to love Nurse when he's making that huge chunk of money and and costs the game or to cost two games or you know probably because the rest of the defense in Edmonton is still going to need them out there. But uh, yeah, you know, it, it just seems like the attitude changes towards uh, some of these players a little bit when the expectations change according to how much money they're making. Yeah, for sure. I think you're, you're definitely mirroring a couple of uh, Oilers things for me. There's no doubt about it. Like I think when you talk about uh, Eichel trying to have to bring his value up and, and, you know, the management in Buffalo trying to convince the rest of the league that, you know, this is the price that he's worth it. it you know, I would was thinking the exact same thing. Michael made a comment on the chat here that reminds him of the hall trade. And, yeah. and I would agree. Like it was kind of, you know, like we're, nobody knew how much of a cancer he actually was in the dressing room and how much of a, a poor attitude he may have had towards his elders. Um, but the rest of the league knew it. So it's hard to ask a, a price for a player like that. And, um, you know, another key thing you said is, is you, you want to see the Sabres get equal return for Eichel and then Eichel move on and be healthy. Well, the key words there are equal return. Like how do you, 
how do you get Jack Eichel back in a Jack Eichel trade? Like I can see maybe if you're going to go to Calgary and pick up a Matthew to Chuck or something like that, then maybe you've got a similar type of character player that you can build around, but you still don't have that skill set, and you still don't have that number one center and you still don't have that playmaker. No, no, you don't. And you know, maybe the best hope is, is you go somewhere like Anaheim, you get a Zegris, you get a first round pick, maybe you get a, uh, uh, some sort of a defenseman, uh, maybe two first round picks. Um, and then you try and time it because it seems like timing is so important with when your entry-level contracts or players are starting to produce at a high level. Um, and then if you can time that with some of your, um, you know, maybe guys on a second or third contract that are making the higher money who are still productive at the same time your entry-level guys yeah. are, that's how you win in the league this year. You know, you throw in a goalie that's not making $8 million, maybe a 2 or $3 million. You know, you look yeah. at Colorado, they got two, two pretty good goalies there and they're only paying $5 million for it. Um, you know, and you can get a couple guys up front like Colorado does that take a little bit of a pay cut, or maybe not a pay cut, a little bit of wow. um, a little little less than they could have if they, you know, were willing to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and away you go. You know, it's it's different with teams like Edmonton and and uh, Buffalo and and Ottawa and Calgary and Columbus, where you know, somewhat geographically unappealing to to play there. So you know, you need the you need the Eichels, you need the McDavid's, you need the Drysaddles to be there to entice the Hymans to come. Um, but when they come and similar to, you know, Hyman Hall last year in Buffalo, they don't come at a discount. They, they're willing to come because the opportunities there and the talents there. So they, they will play there. Um, but they're, they're not coming for cheaper. You know, some of the, some of the better yeah. teams or, or a, a state where you, you're not paying taxes, uh, you get a little better deal there because yeah. you know, Tampa, Tampa is a nice place to live and Florida is a nice place to live and you're not paying as much tax and, you got some pretty good uh, top end talent on both those teams. So yeah, it's you know, not a coincidence. There's no doubt. Yeah. So we've got uh, another uh, online listener that's got a question here for you. Jana Fisher mm-hmm. asks uh, Ask Petey how many Sabres players his daughters can name. Yeah, I had to start early on that. Um, you know, I've got, we've got four daughters. I lost one to the Flames. Um, so <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, I got about two and a half in on, on the Sabres. Um, you know, my, uh, my 10 year old, she, she knows all of them and, uh, and some of the minor league ones, um, uh, she, she watches hockey, you know, fairly regularly she plays, but, uh, she hasn't quite figured out, uh, you know, that we're, we're a ways away from, uh, from being, <laughs> being real good again. And then my, my five-year-old, she's, uh, you know, she, she's the next one that, uh, she knows some players, and, and that's the only team that, that I know. We had a uh, uh, some mini sticks there. They came with all the Canadian mini sticks, uh, all the Canadian teams. So we made sure we taped the Montreal Canadian one up white and oh put boy. Buffalo Sabres on it. And, uh, nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so that way, uh, that's the only team she really knows right now. So we'll get yeah. rid of that old Adams division rival right off the hop, eh? That's right. Get them out of here. No. Uh, that's fantastic. But it was. Okay, Sorry, with that said, you know, I, yeah. it was it was nice to see Montreal uh, make a little run there. You know, I think they they did get it a little bit in over their head. Um, but uh, yeah. you know, if if it has to be somewhat of a, a random team, in my opinion, I know to M- Montreal isn't a random team to some people, but to me, it, it might as well be a Canadian. Team. Yeah. Well, I know I know what you mean, and I would agree that I'd rather see them there than the Leafs, and I'd rather see them there than the Flames, and. I'd rather see them there than the Canucks. So, you know, at the end of the day, if I've got to get behind a Canadian team a little bit, it, it's probably that one. I wouldn't mind Winnipeg either, I guess. I don't have a hate for them, but maybe I do after this year's playoffs. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
yeah so no but uh i'm not sure with uh what montreal uh will be like this year you know with or without weber is uh that's a that's a huge uh, huge loss uh interesting move with the uh, uh, trading of uh uh centers basically they swap centers and, and added right. a pick in there to get them uh uh, I understand both sides of that deal. I I would have let him go at that price as well. Yeah, I think I would have. Yeah. Um, uh, but at the same time, I think they they maybe did a little backwards with him. They they rushed him in a little early, uh, yeah. you know, when he first came up, and then mm, he was scoring some goals in the playoffs here. But yet they decided to sit him. Is you know maybe yeah. they could have sat him a little bit earlier and then worked him in and and uh, he's seems to be yeah. a fairly res- responsible player and can put the puck in the net is, is really what they were missing. Uh, I, I don't understand that move, but uh, not my not my move to make. Reminds me of Jesse Piarvi a little bit, right? Like where a GM maybe tries to justify reaching a little bit and not that Piarvi was a reach like Kakianemi was viewed as, but, you know, he was what Bergevin viewed as the best center available in the draft and he wanted a center. And so that's, he didn't care whether he was ranked 15th or fourth. He took Kakianemi where he did. But you're right. The mistake was in pushing him into the league at 18 years old when, you know, he wasn't ready, wasn't strong enough. And he's losing corner battles and puck battles easily. And then you lose your confidence and then you get benched and then you get healthy scratched. And that's tough to come back from at that age, man. It is. And, and you know, what what was his upside? Was it a the second line center? Right. Uh, you know, a real good third line center, maybe second line center. Dvorak, he can play that third, third line yeah. center role for sure. But they're still missing missing that high end talent for sure. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Well, for those of you who don't know, Pete is a teacher. He's uh, spent his his career at Winyard Compton High School. There, he's gone from being a vice principal for nine years. I think he's just a full time phys ed teacher now. And by the looks of his biceps, he spends too much time in the gym. But that's enough. So I'm gonna uh, make up a segment for tonight, and uh, we're just gonna call it Pete's Report Card. Um, I've prepped Pete how it's gonna work, but he doesn't know what I'm gonna ask him. Uh, so I'd like to, uh, kind of introduce that by saying, um, I'm going to say a statement and, you know, and take as much time as you want to answer it. It doesn't matter. Um, and you just tell me whether that statement is a pass or a fail. So whether you agree or disagree basically, and and then you can tell me why. So, um, that said, let's go. Yeah. I think we're, I think we're set. So first one up here, I'm going to easy end. easy. Sidney Crosby should be the captain for team Canada at the Olympics. Oh yes, that's a that's a pass a plus plus plus. Um, I I like uh, watching the the NHLers go to the Olympics. I, I still worry a little bit that uh, if there's any kind of COVID problems and they have to um, push some games back, that it might just end up being uh, uh, COVID recovery games instead of Olympic break. But uh, um, you know, Canada going to the Olympics or in any world on any world stage, um, it's basically. Uh, uh, almost a no-win situation. You know, you you win, you win gold, and you're expected to. It's it's like the states yeah. if uh, if they're playing ball or baseball or or basketball, they're all they're by far the the deepest pool. So uh, everybody shoots to to beat Canada. You know, there's there's other countries that are that are close, um, but our depth. You know, if we put Team Two and Team Three and Team Four against uh, you know Sweden Team Two or U.S. Team Two or Team Team Three. Um, and for sure, uh, you know, we take those games. So, so it's always a uh, a bit of a, a risk that way because if you get beat, then then you know Sweden's the king of the world because they want to shoot out or, or or what have you. A few years back, right. um, yeah. uh, you know, 
so Crosby being the captain, um, you don't need any extra um, problems or, or questions in the dressing room. I don't think McDavid or McKinnon are going to question Crosby being the captain. And, uh, uh, right. you know, by the time four years from now comes, then, then it'll, be, it'll be time for somebody else. I would agree wholeheartedly. I think Crosby's earned it, and uh, until it's taken off of his chest, it, it should be his. Uh, Jack Eichel will still be a Buffalo Sabre on October 12th. Uh, I think he'll be a Buffalo Sabre at about a, uh, I'll give that about a B, um, but I don't think he'll be dressing. If, uh, if he's still a Buffalo Sabre, then it means that no one's been willing to take a chance to trade for him, and he will have probably come to terms with some sort of a surgery, and he'll be right in the midst of that, and meaning that he'll yeah. probably have to show he still can play before anybody's going to put any major assets on the line. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers are built to win a Stanley Cup in the next four years. Um, I'll give that a, uh, a C plus. Um, you know, I, I look back the last three or four years at the Oilers rosters and and they're just so similar. Um, it just it just so top end uh, reliant. Um, you know, Hyman he, he'll move the needle a little, little bit, um, but but the loss of Larson. A lot, uh, you know, Clefbaum, is, is he going to play again at all? I'm not sure. It doesn't sound very good. Those are two major, major losses that can't, that can't be replaced by Duncan Keith. It's our top pairing from three years ago. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> can't be replaced by Duncan Keith's um, experience. You know, he, he'll be nice to have in the dressing room. He'll be nice as a, as a you know, middle to bottom pair. Um, but if he's being relied on for for major minutes, uh, uh, you know, you add that to the bottom two lines, which are, which are still really just all question marks in Edmonton. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it looks good in uh, in December, January, February, and uh, you know you're scoring goals and and you're beating teams pretty good, and you you know you maybe end up as a as a decent seed in the playoffs. And playoff hockey is completely different. And we're we could not have a podcast together because we're going to agree on everything. But I probably have that anyways. <laughs> um, that's that's why I like Dursa. He's always taking that uh, that silly opinion like Keith's going to make our team better. And weird oh, you're, you're always right. You always have been. So <laughs> just ask me. Yeah. Um, the Toronto Maple Leafs are built to win a Stanley Cup in the next four years. Um, if, if it happens, it's uh, it's probably going to be this year. Um. You know, similar to to Oilers and uh, and all add Buffalo in there, um, mm-hmm. and really every team, it's got to go goalie defense forwards. Um, Toronto's goaltending is the I shouldn't compare Buffalo in there because Buffalo's so far gone. But um, Toronto's got the best goaltending of those three, but that's not that's not saying anything really positive no. for them. Um, right. Toronto's defense is uh, is is their weak spot as well, and. Uh, you know, is, is Riley going to be there after this year? Uh, and then the cycle continues. You know, you're scoring lots of goals, scoring lots of goals. But the the real hard teams to play against, they're they don't care what happens in the, the first sixty games. You, know, you look like it, or you look at a, at an Islander team, and they're built completely different. They have yeah. you know six, about six or seven guys that are making four to five, six million dollars, and doesn't really matter what their names are. They all do the same job. No, that's the that's the Lou Lamarillo way. Yeah, yeah, and and it seems to work. They had one more scorer in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think Trotz helped help that mix considerably because he's a perfect coach for that type of style and and what Lam Morello tries to do. So it's Uh, it's boring, boring hockey. 
But if you, if you look at how a team needs to be built, they got two great goaltenders. Their defense is is tough, tough to play against. And and again, it's not the big names. It's uh, you know Mayfield and Pelic and you know, yeah. those kind of guys. And you throw in that third and fourth Martin, line of the Islanders. Islanders. If if the Oilers had the third and fourth line that the Islanders do, it, you know, wouldn't matter that uh, Mike That's Smith's right. in that. That's right. Or that our depth isn't there, that our defense is a bunch of puck movers that that would provide the toughness and that effort that you need. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, Good segue. Did I give give that one a letter? Did I give that one a letter? Oh, no, I don't think you did grade that. Yeah, good call. Uh, what did I give? C plus uh, for the Oilers. So you got yeah, so you I give gotta, anything I gotta better than C plus? I'm going to be angry with you. I get I got to give it a B minus. Um, I I just think the depth of their their high end talents uh, maybe a little stronger, and uh, the defense is uh, maybe maybe a little better. But uh, of yeah, course, McDavid, McDavid and Drysaitel are, are the best two players of the back. Yeah, if they can uh, be the game changers that that they can in the playoffs, I think, and they'll need yeah. some support in order to do that, as we've proved. Um, nice segue with the goaltending there. The Buffalo Sabres would have been better off signing Carolina Hurricanes emergency backup goalie David Ayers instead of Craig Anderson. Yeah, I'll give that an A+. Plus. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's almost embarrassing. Like, that's, uh, that's not really... That's, I was shocked, I don't, man. Like, that's hardly NHL caliber. That's weak. Um, it's not just not but, signing a contract. It says, we are tanking. Sign well, Craig Anderson, the goaltender. I know it's uh, it, the cycle continues, and we talked about <laughs> that, that culture of losing. Like, you know, uh, uh, yeah. when does it end? And and maybe it's uh, uh, you cycle out some of these big contracts, the Skinners and the Ocposos, and then by then these younger guys, their entry level contracts will still be in yeah. place, and and they're productive. Well, maybe by then you try and get some free agents in, and and yeah. hope it works out the next time. But but you have to overpay and. And you know, like, like we talked about, you have to you have to give these free agents who still have three, four years left. You have to give them extra years and extra money to come to places, unless you have uh, a team that's ready to win. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ralph Kruger never had a chance. <laughs> uh, no, I, he he had a chance. All uh, and then I guess that would be a. A fail. So that's about a D. He had a chance. They they let him uh, uh, have a long leash there. He he talks a real good game. Very likable. Oof. He's uh, yeah. you, you, you need a motivational speaker. He's he's the guy to get. Um, <laughs> it, 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 I guess once the the change was made to Granado, you have to question what what was he doing because Buffalo had you know their high end talent was out and they're playing you know way better. They're winning more games so. Uh, I do like Kruger. He, he's uh, he could listen to him talk for 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 a long time, but uh, uh, you know it, it's time to see what what Granado can do, and he, he's good for the yeah. for the young kids. Uh, you know, big name coach is always uh, appealing, but I think Granado is somebody that can work with the young ones here. Great, great guy to have on a podcast. Maybe not the greatest guy to have on the bench. Eh? And sounds like Craig McTavish would agree with you because well, at least that. Yeah, true. And I don't have to hear anybody tell me that all the Sabres uh, are losing because they have a soccer coach. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> we didn't have to hear that because he went to soccer after the Oilers. <laughs> yeah. The Oilers were so yeah. terrible to coach for that it drove him to the sport of soccer. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well. that's that's on us there, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, I, I like Ralph too. You know, he seemed to always be able to um, justify his, uh, his actions and justify... Um, 
his decisions behind the bench, but at the end of the day, his NHL performance has, has been pretty lackluster and no matter where he's been. Well, and it's yeah, NHL now is system based. You know, he he can justify his decisions, and he did probably make some good decisions. Just you know, if you can't apply, uh, you know, your systems or, or your systems aren't good uh, onto the ice, and you don't have a chance. Hey, I want to back up. What's uh, what do you think the Oilers' chances are of a of a cup in, in that time frame? Ah, oh, shit, man. Ah, oh, pardon my French. Um, it's hard. You, you know, like my it's it's my heart, right? My heart says we're gonna do it. Yeah. I don't, I guess I, I liken it to looking back at the SIDS and the Ovies and, and those, those guys that are just the true great, great players of the game. Mario eventually got his cup, you know, Yager got his cup. It, it would be an absolute shame to hockey if, if Connor McDavid doesn't get to hoist a Stanley Cup before he retires. Um, Petey, I just hope he does it as an oiler. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if, if that means we've got, you know, seven more years to do this, then so be it. Um, but Holland's building this thing for the two to four year window. You know, if we've got Keith to teach everybody, you know, at this very expensive price, how to win. then so be it, you know, we've got that window. When that contract of Connor and dry starts to get closer to the end, if we still haven't won, I, I don't even want to talk about what that might mean. So <sighs> we're so, high end talent. We've backfilled with a bunch of scratch tickets, man. Um, mm-hmm. We've got $1 million contracts. And if some of those scratch tickets pay off like Archibald, great. If they end up being Hoss and, and a bunch of Anthony Seuss, then we're, we're screwed. And, and we're not going to have the depth and we're still not going to be able to compete in the playoffs. Um, goaltending is a big question mark for me. We, we need somebody that can win in the playoffs. And I'm not sure either one of the two that we have right now can, I think Smith can win in the playoffs if he can get there, but it's a long season and it's going to be a rushed season. I don't think we have the defensive strength. I'm not sure we have the defensive depth. It's going to be fire wagon hockey. That doesn't work in the playoffs. <sighs> I I hope so, man. I, I my heart will say, yeah. I, I think we can win a cup in two to four years, but one and done, one and done. Holland's built yeah. it for a one and done. Um, if in an ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a merry Christmas. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. That's for sure. I, I think their path is, um, you know, is is just to to get hot offensively and, and just start to believe that that you can't be stopped. And some of those high end players can keep that going for a long string and then you get the, yeah. you know, maybe some of the Bouchards and the Holloways and then some of the, the faster young guys in there to supplement the talent and, and just really hope that the back end, uh, you know, in, in that can hold it. Uh, it, 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 there's a path, but it's, uh, it's not uh, paved. Yeah. You mentioned the key there too. It's, it's the young kids, right? If we can get Bouchard in, in a second pairing role sooner than later and, and effectively, uh, you know, Broberg by maybe next year, or the year after in an effective role and uh, Tyler Benson and some of these younger players can can actually pay off and, and play on an entry level contract type of salary or a close to league minimum type of salary and be effective. I think that's the key. But, you know, does that mean Skinner jumps up into the goaltending? Does that mean we go get a goalie at the trade deadline? I don't know. I think I'll have a lot easier time answering your question come uh, the trade deadline than what we enter the season mm-hmm. with. Yeah. 
and then call. Yeah, and you're right. We you know those. En- Go ahead. The, the entry level contracts have to have to start to produce because the, the teams like Tampa, you know, the higher level teams that have had good success, they they get the veterans at that minimum, and you know that they're gonna they're gonna produce come playoff time. Uh, entry level contracts, they, they're a, they're a wild card. Yeah, and Pat Maroon and and guys like that, or you know Corey Perry, are, are a far cry from Gaetan Haas or whoever we're throwing a million dollars at. You know, it's 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 not. Yeah. So until that comes to fruition, it's it's going to be interesting. So I, I think you know Holland kind of took on a strategy, a let it ride. I, I think that he honestly thinks that um, you know there's a few things that are just going to improve organically on the team, and unfortunately, he's banking on it. Um, so he's taken those risks and, and we'll see if they pay off, but, you know, I just feel like he's kind of backfilled the bottom end of the lineup, um, with less quality than he could have, you know, to try to supplement the top end of the lineup, which we all know is, is epic and, and, and one of the Mm -hmm. best in the league. So, Yeah. yeah, I just feel like he spent foolishly and could have used that salary cap a little more wisely to, to fill the gaps than the way he did, but. Anyways, we'll, we'll see, yeah. man. And, and that's that's from what we know as well, right? In order to get, to get a deal done, it, it had you know, two things have to happen. You have to want the player, and they have to want to come. So you know, maybe that changes the pool that you get to pick from. Um, you know, it, it, he did in Detroit. He kept his his older goalies all the time. He kept Howard. Mm-hmm. He kept Osgood. Um, yeah, of course, their lineups were as deep as as there's been sure. in decades. So it, that works. Um, you know, he's, right. he's sticking with Smith. Smith was fine last year, but um, he's old. You can but win a hard, cup with an average yeah, goal like Niemi yeah, or Osgood when you've got that kind of depth, right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you think Tippett's the right coach to to bring this out of the others? You think that he's got the the right mindset to be able to get them in a place where they're winning consistently and, and can develop the right systems. Uh, I, I think Tippett is a good coach. I you know, I think he's, uh, uh, he's got the respect to the players. Um, uh, you know, the, the only, the only question I have is, is, is what, how does he react when um, McDavid shows some of his, his frustration and, and some of that is showing, you know, a little bit more and more in his body language. Um, and, and he's stuck to his players. So, uh, you know, when, when he's, uh, he's in, in my opinion, he's more of a, uh, overall team game, um, defense offense, uh, of a, of a coach, but he has more offensive players. So he's stuck to, um, coaching to win that way. You, you have to, have to play with the, the players you have um so you know he's he's really pushing those high-end guys and pushing lots of minutes and they can handle you know, it you know when, when when guys get to 22 24 minutes uh, as a forward these guys are young and they're in shape and they're good you know unless they're banged up a little bit that's when that's when it's a different story but um you know as a you know basically neutral to the oilers when when i see that on mcdavid's face it's almost like a bit of a uh, red alert. Okay, is he is he becoming frustrated, or is this just one part of one game? Um, and then I I bring it back to to my team with Eichel. Is you know what does that frustra- frustration come into? And then you look at the length of the contract. What does McDavid have left, and Drysaitel have left? I think it's about four and five years. McDavid I think has five. What happens when that's two and three years? And uh, if nothing changes. But again, they're they're also maturing as well, and, and and might be able to carry them a little bit deeper. And and one or two good years might turn it right around. And 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 now you've 
you've got people wanting to come there, you're maybe waiting yeah. to uh, um, uh, re-sign these guys and, and they want to be Oilers for life, which would be ideal for the Oilers and for Canadian hockey in general. Yeah, I would agree again wholeheartedly for sure. Well, I don't know, man. We've uh, we probably rattled enough pucks off the, the crossbar for one night, and I I honestly really appreciate you coming on and helping me host the show and reminiscing a little bit and chatting hockey. It's something you and I have done for thirty five years, but cool to do it with microphones in front of our faces. Uh, I don't know any any final words, bud. Oh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I, I just watching hockey over the last basically four decades. It's changed a lot. Um, you know, the dynasties they are they're done. Um, yeah. Just due due to the fact that if you if you do have a great team, all the players need to be paid, and uh, uh, that's one thing that that is maybe a, a negative side effect of the salary cap. Is you know you, you cheer for a team, um, and I've become more of a fan of the team and. Yeah, I like the players on my team, but I, they don't get as attached to them as I used to because I know that there's a chance they might not be there for very long. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, as a, as a player gets older, instead of hoping that, um, hey, maybe they can play three or four more good late years late in their year or, or late in their career, you're hoping yeah. that, uh, geez, I hope that's, that salary isn't going to be a, a dead weight on our team in two or three years. You know, sort of, sort of like the, the Oilers. You know, you guys are paying two or three guys that aren't on your team, Lucic and Sakara and a few of those guys, just because you had to get them there at the time, and then their contracts ran out instead of you know saying, "Hey, we want you to," or, or hoping that they can produce for longer. No, they're dead weight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think what salary cap has honestly kind of done to the league is separate the rich from the poor. I think, you know, the Connor McDavid's and those guys are going to still get their money and the defensemen like you've seen this year, but the, uh, uh, the journeymen are, are really the ones who've been hurt, you know, and you see Cassie and sign a $3 million a year journeyman contract right before COVID hits now COVID flat cap boom. And not a guy like him can make any more than, you know, a million and, yeah. and hopefully a PTO it's yeah. really separated and, and from the poor. And it becomes a gambling game is, is when do you sign someone you think has potential and can you get them for a couple more years at a little bit lower contract? And if you do, okay, did you give them a little bit too much money and they don't turn out? So you see, so sort of have to pick and choose when you take your chances yeah. on the, on those mid contracts because those are the ones that make your team. And uh, and you can change your team fast if you have salary cap and you and you pick and choose wisely on those. But, but uh, you need everything to fall in place at once. And those, those are the teams that are winning. You know, they had some down years. They get a couple good high picks. Those high picks turn out. Um, yeah. They've had some veterans there, and then you yeah, have that all together. So, it, it just it, in in my opinion, as you said, the closing thoughts is, um, uh, you know, the, the hockey's better than ever. Um, yeah. The the way hockey teams are run are so much different um, than than before the salary cap, and and that's obviously yeah. going to be the case. But it, there's certainly some trends there, and the the good teams. Um, are taking advantage of that and uh, you know if, if, if you if you draft well you got a chance to sustain it but the dynasties i think are are pretty much uh, you know the thing of the past you might get two or three years but once those uh, those lower end contracts are up you know, they're they're wanting to get paid yeah yeah absolutely bud well been an absolute slice uh we'll have you on again sometime there's absolutely no doubt about that 
thanks for filling in for uh, Mr. Dursa, who uh, is living out his own personal uh, Lloyd Christmas, searching out Mary Swanson tonight and couldn't make the show. Uh, but we'll, we'll have him back uh, next week and, and I'll sign off uh, the way Dursa always does. Uh, keep your stick on the ice and keep reaching for the stars. Thanks for coming, Petey. Let's go with us. All right. Thank you.